Hey, if I didn't get a chance to meet you guys earlier, I think I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Ryan, like Chancellor. Uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. It's a joy, it's a privilege, and so uh, we're glad to, to be in worship with you guys today. Uh, and as we continue in worship, we're going to turn our attention to Scripture. So if you have it, pull it out, and let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I hope my prayer, one of the things I was praying for in anticipation of this Sunday is uh, that the Lord would be stirring amongst His people a hunger this morning in particular to, to experience Him and to engage with Him in Scripture. And so I pray that you came to that this morning, that you're, that you're excited, that you're anticipating meeting Him in His Word. And my, my prayer is that, as always, every week, that as we do that, as we engage Him in Scripture, that you and I are going to walk away from this time uh, changed, right? That we're going to have uh, our hearts stirred up, our affections stirred up towards Jesus and faithfulness. That we wouldn't be people who just uh, come to service on Sundays, who enjoy time with people, who look into Scripture and then walk away from it and, and have no intention of changing. My prayer is that as we look into this, that you and I would do some really good soul searching and that we would see, Lord, where, where in my life am I living inconsistently with what you are calling me to become, Lord Jesus? And so in particular this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And so I have a, uh, I have a tradition with my boys, uh, Carson and Camden, and when Kennedy gets a little bit older, she's going to, whether she likes it or not, she's going to join in my tradition. But I have this thing uh, from the earliest of ages with the boys when they started preschool and where they kind of hit that age where you get a chance to be up on and do a performance or receive an award for anything, I have this tradition where I want my kids to know that even no matter how big the audience is at whatever they're doing, I want them to be able to know, even if they can't see me, that dad is there and dad is proud of them. And so I don't just clap like every other parent. I make it a point. I have developed this, this hooting call that I have. And it is unique. Uh, the Minixes know it because our kids go to school together. And I let all of Garden Park Elementary know who I am with my hooting call. And so no matter what, my kids know, whenever they're up there, I want them to know dad's out there and he loves you and he's proud of you. Now, when I first started this, when Carson was in preschool, he had not grown to appreciate it. Uh, and I don't even know if he's there yet now. But there was this time in preschool, uh, he went to a preschool in the city of Cyprus. And every Christmas season, uh, the city puts on this big performance in the big grass yard out front of uh, City Hall. And they invite grade levels from preschool all the way to 12th grade to come and do little performances. And Carson's preschool class was called uh, or chosen to do this, I don't know what preschoolers do, they don't sing, they just do random things on stage and it's cute, right? And so Carson was going up there and I told him before he went up there, I was like, buddy, it's going to be hundreds of people out here on the grass. Now you may not be able to see dad, but you'll know I'm there. And he knew what that meant. And he said, please, daddy, don't. I was like, nah, guy, nah, guy, you're going to know your daddy loves you. And so he goes up there, and Taylor's recording it, and I will forever cherish this video in my heart as a, as a dad. She's zoomed in on all these preschoolers, and their little performance ends, and all the, you know, normal parents are just like, yes, yes, this is so good. And then out of the darkness in this cold, crisp Cypress night, you just hear this, yeah, 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 and all the preschoolers' faces go like this. 
And then there's Carson's face on the camera. He goes. <laughs> and as a dad, that video, man, I'm going to play it when he's 18. And, and, and when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to play that video. Because I want my kids to know that I'm, I'm proud of them, right? And, and hopefully as an adult, they'll appreciate it more than they do now. Uh, that they'll see, no matter what, no matter what the occasion was, dad was there and he was loud, and he loves you, and he's proud of you. And as a parent, I drive Taylor crazy because we just show up places, and we don't know anybody, and I embarrass her so much as her partner, as her husband, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm here for them, and if you think I'm weird, which I am, we're cool with it. And so I want my kids to know that in any situation, dad's going to be there, and dad's going to be proud of them, and he will embarrass himself for them. And as I think about that, and then we come to Scripture, and this is not parenting advice. This is now where we get to Scripture. In Matthew 5, Jesus is talking about, as we continue our parable series, he's talking about an identity that you and I have as his followers. And the correlation here is this. He's asking his people to become something and to not, as we're going to look at in the Scriptures this morning, to not shy away from being that. No matter where you are, no matter how big the room, no matter what the room is, Jesus is calling us to be something there for him and to not hide it, not tone it down, not be embarrassed of it, but no matter what, to, to stand and to be the light of the world, to live that out, as we're going to see, through our good works, through the living out, the embodiment of his teachings, and that we're not going to back away from that, but we're going to step into that proudly so that all might know the glorious God that we serve. And so my prayer is this, that as you, as you and I look into the scriptures this morning, if we see any inconsistency in any area or arena of our lives, I pray that the Spirit would just do a work in our hearts. Maybe it's boldness that you need this morning. Maybe it's the courage to step out and to, to stop trying to blend in, but to be able to say, like, I don't care. I'm going to stand into this identity that Jesus is calling me to. Why? Because I'm just so passionate about him that it doesn't matter what room I'm in. That doesn't change. And so with that in mind, with that, with that precursor, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we, as Friends Church, as we turn our attention to your scriptures, Lord, that you would do some convicting in our own souls. That if there's any area of our lives, Lord Jesus, where we're kind of stepping back, where we're maybe trying to blend or, or we're just a little quiet about being the light of the world, I pray, Lord, for boldness. I pray for courage. And I pray for conviction. That we'd be people, no matter the room, no matter the arena, no matter the relationship, that we would just step into that as the light of the world. That we might be that lamp on a stand as you've called us to be, Lord. And we love you. We praise you, and we commit this time to you and your purposes, Lord Jesus, and all God's people pray. Amen. Well, as we, uh, as we dive into what 
Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to kind of lay a, a quick foundation on why Jesus is saying what he's saying in this particular instance. And so we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament, um, and we're going to be moving through the Old Testament, so you don't need to try and play catch-up. You can if you'd like, but we're going to start off in Genesis 12. And so here's the issue. From the very beginning, God's intention for his people was that they would be a reflection of him. From the very beginning, when he called Israel in his call to Abram, the whole point was this. You exist not as an end for yourself. You exist to go to the ends of creation that all people might be able to look to you and to see my glory and they might be drawn into salvation. And so the reason we're in Genesis 12 is where God calls Abram. And listen to what he says in verses 1 through 3. He says, the Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen to this, the very end. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so from the very beginning, God makes it clear that to be his people does not mean that you and I exist for ourselves. It's not about being a holy people just merely to receive the blessings and the presence of God. But from the very beginning, woven into the DNA of what it means to be the people of God means that that blessing is supposed to be for us and then channeled through us to be a blessing to others. And so from the very beginning, our purpose as, as God's people Israel and now grafted in the church has always been about going out, has always been about living out and being present that all people might see the light. Not the light that you and I possess, but the light that we reflect in God. And that that would be a beacon, that they would see that and that they would be drawn to the source of blessing, that they'd be drawn to our glorious God. And so from the very beginning, this was the call of Israel. You're going to have my blessing, but be a blessing. And then in Isaiah 49, 6, the prophet is speaking to his people, and he's reiterating the point. Remember, it's not just for you, Israel. It's supposed to go and move beyond you, not just for you. And Isaiah 49, 6, it says this, He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. You hear that? It's too small for you just to focus on that. It's got to be bigger. It's too small. And then he says this, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, right? Non-Jewish people. I will make you a light for the Gentiles. Why? That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth always been God's intention that his people don't just exist for themselves, but that there is a calling we have in our DNA to then go out and be a light, right? That theme is all throughout, a light that draws people to him. But God knew that in order for his people to successfully do that, they had to remain distinct. They had to remain set apart from the culture around them. Because if if they start to adopt 
aspects of culture from around them, then they will lose that distinctiveness of what it means to be God's people, and then there's no difference between them and culture in the midst of the world. And so we look at Exodus 23, and this is where when God is inviting his people and calling them into the promised land, for you and I, this is kind of a difficult section of scripture as, as postmodern Westerners, where God says, hey, I, I have prepared this promised land for you, my people, I am going to give it to you. But in the process of giving it to you, I'm going to destroy those that are there already on the basis of their wickedness and their sin. And so what he says is, I'm going to carve out this land for you, and you're going to occupy it. You're going to inhabit it. Again, not just so you can have homes that you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant. But the point is that when you're there, that you would do this for me. You would remain distinct. You would remember what it means to be my people, that you wouldn't become like everybody else, but that you would remain holy and set apart. And in Exodus 23, verse 33, he says this, if I can get on the right page. He says, do not let them live in your land. Why? They will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Right? We're no different from the Israelites. God calls his people to remember to remain distinct. You and I live in culture, right? Don't, don't misunderstand the Gospels, right? We're not supposed to, like, exterminate Garden Grove and make it a church. Now we live in the midst of our culture. And so you and I have an even more difficult calling, that in the middle of a culture, we have to learn how to be in it and yet also distinct from it so that we can continue to be the light of the world that Jesus calls us to do. And this is something that is very hard for many of us to do well, is it not? To take my convictions as a follower of Jesus and then go to where I work. To go to my family that do not share those convictions. To go into my friendships with many people who don't share my convictions. And then you and I have to learn, how do I maintain my integrity as a follower of Jesus so that I can continue to be a light to these folks? while also living and dwelling amongst them. And that is not an easy thing. And, and most of the time, you and I will default to one of two things. Most of us will default to blending. That's what most people do. Maybe at your work or in your family that you know don't share your convictions as a follower of Jesus. Most of the time, you and I opt for the blending preference, which is, I'm, just, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to rock the boat. Why? Because it's, it's my work. And, and my work is important that I, that I have, you know, peace with all people at my work as much as possible, depending on where you work. Or for your families. No, like, these get-togethers are already hard enough, so I just need to tone down what I believe about who Jesus is and, and who he's called me to be. And so you and I will oftentimes default to the blending option, which is where we just kind of become these chameleons, where you can literally be at work at a place for a long time and people don't know that you're a follower of Jesus. Is that right? Probably not. And Jesus, man, how can you be light of the world if you're blending? And then the other option is that some of us swing too hard where we get a little too aggressive with it. And there's a balance there. 
right? You can go to your work as a teacher or a nurse, and you can live out being the light of Jesus without being obnoxious. That's a fine line. And unfortunately, many of our brothers and sisters, and if we're honest, sometimes ourselves too, we, we cross that. And there's a healthy middle ground, though, where we live out being the light of the world, where you can be distinct in your work. You can be different and be a testimony, be a light of the world for where you are. And so, unfortunately, with Israel, they had a problem getting it right. And so the Old Testament is filled with opportunity and missed opportunity for Israel. And so we go to 2 Kings chapter 23. I encourage you to turn to this one. This is probably a section of Scripture that you're not too familiar with. So I encourage you to read it this week in its entirety. But in 2 Kings 22, King Josiah comes to the throne. And this is a season in Israel's life where they have like failed miserably at being a holy, distinct, set-apart people of God. Failed miserably, probably in ways that you and I can't even relate to in our worst days. And it's so bad at this point in Israel's history, King Josiah comes to the throne and he's looking at the temple and he's saying, it's in disrepair. God put it on my heart, I want to fix the temple. So let's go ahead and we'll raise some money and then I'll have my secretary take the money to the priests so that they can pay laborers to fix the temple up. A simple concept. So the secretary takes the money that's raised to the priest. They get the money, they start the work, it's great. And then the priest brings to the secretary and says, hey, by the way, while we were digging around back here, we found this book it was the scriptures. Imagine how far you've fallen as God's people if your pastor comes before you and is like, check out what I found back there. It's a Bible. And I think we should, I think we should crack this thing open. What do you think? So you've got to imagine this speaks to the spiritual worship life of Israel at this point. Like if they don't even know where the scriptures are, what do you think is going on in their culture at that time? And so the priest gives it to the secretary. The secretary brings it to Josiah, and like they have this awesome time of, hey, let's just gather everybody, and we're going to read from this book. And so he gathers the nation, and they read from the law before all the people. And then there's conviction that wells up in them. And then in 2 Kings 23 is this long list of everything that they start to feel conviction towards to undoing. And you look through this list, and it's like, oh my gosh, how many, how many fake altars do you have? They're tearing them all down. And there's one in particular. Look at 2 Kings 23, verse 10. And there's a lot that we could read there, but this one kind of just like, is the cherry on top of it all that kind of lets you know the tone of all the others. In 2 Kings 23.10, listen to this. It says, He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Don't know where that is. So no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire of Molech. I.e., they had been sacrificing their sons and daughters on the altar of fire to a false god. How on earth are, can you live as God intended you to when you've gone so far as to 
begin to worship a God who calls you to sacrifice your children for his favor. And some of our parents are like, tell me more about this religion. How do you spell Molech? Right? But think about how sick God's people had become to where they literally had altars where, and a belief system that if I throw my child on this firing altar, that this God Molech is going to grant me favor. Can you be light of the world in that state? No, and so we see, man, Israel is just broken. They're no longer living out what God desired and called them to be from the very beginning. And then we see the last part in Ezekiel 11, verse 12. And this is the one that these words, I think you could take these words out of Ezekiel 11, out of the context of Israel, and just put this onto our lives because they're so poignant for how you and I today live as God's people. Listen to what the prophet says to Israel. And you will know that I am the Lord, for you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, but you have conformed to the standards of the nations around you. Catch that? You've conformed to the standards of the nations around you. And so when we talk about what it means for you and I to blend, that's what it means. Is that you and I know what he expects of us. And maybe it's at work, maybe it's in family, maybe it's in friendships. You begin to conform to the standards of the culture around you. And I do it too. And then I come to Jesus' words in Matthew 5 and he says, man, you're like a lamp on a stand. Don't don't cover it with a bowl. Don't, don't conform to the standards of the culture around you. That defeats this great and noble calling you've received. And not just that, but man, as you look at our culture, they need you and I to live differently. They need it. They need the lamp on a stand. When Jesus uses these two metaphors, city on a hill, lamp on a stand, the whole purpose of those two things is for other people to see it. And when you choose, and I do it too, in situations of our lives, when I choose, just like Ezekiel warned us people, his people a long time ago, when you make a decision to conform to the standards of the culture around you, you're just covering it with a bowl. And you're saying, man, Lord Jesus, I love what you have to say about what it means to live righteously, to live that righteousness out in good works. I love it. I think my culture needs it, but I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to, I'm going to blend a little bit here. I'm just going to conform. And we hide that. And, And set your needs aside for a second. Our culture needs God's people to be light of the world, doesn't it? We live in the midst of a culture, and, and, and our culture has so many great things about it. I love it. And yet there's so many things in our culture that are moving people away from what it means to hunger for God. We're just, we're moving so quickly away from it. And every culture does this. And that's why it's so important for us as God's people, where you work, in your families, to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be obnoxious about it, but man, I am going to live out the righteousness that Jesus has called me to through good works. 
And I don't know if, if you watch the Golden Globes. I don't. But I caught a snippet of it. And I don't know who she is because I don't watch too many uh, big movies anymore since I had kids. But there's an actress, Michelle Williams, and she won an award. And she gave a speech. And it's the only one of the only speeches from the Golden Globes that I caught. But the reason it was so powerful is she, she got up there to receive her award. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but in her acceptance speech, the premise of it was this. I'm glad I made the decision to have an abortion because that freed me up to pursue my career, which has now led me to standing here with my gold statue. And you look at that, and, and as followers of Jesus, man, we, we look at the Israelites and we're like, man, how could you have allowed Molech, how could you have allowed Molech to be in your culture? And then we look to our culture, which is holding a stupid gold statue and saying, man, I'm so glad that I, I killed my child because now I have this. And the sad thing to me as I watched that clip was the applause from people. And then the applause as it reaches from that room out into mainstream culture. Why is it important for God's people to be light of the world? Because you and I are living in a culture, and I don't, I don't touch on these hot button issues too much, but when we have people in our culture boasting that by killing their children they've achieved their dreams, you and I have got to make a decision somewhere along the road. I'm not, no, I'm not saying go out there and protest and argue with her. No, 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 no. You know what the world needs? The world needs the church just to model something differently. The world needs you and I to go out and exactly what Jesus says in verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They need to be able to look to the church and you and I not choosing just to blend, but you and I saying, you know what? I'm going to live out the values of what I believe Jesus teaches and that is going to be a light in the midst of a culture that's killing children for gold awards and killing children for opportunity and treating families as nuisances and treating marriages as cheap and, and exchangeable. They need to see the church step into that and say, no, no, I'm going to live out the teachings of Jesus. And when Jesus says good works, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, what I'm about to teach you, do it. And when you do it, it's going to stand out in the world of darkness. And it's not hard to do so. He says, here's what I teach you. Go out and be a person of your word. Matthew 5, 37, 38. Go out there and be a person of your word. So when you say yes, do it. Don't break your oath. When you get married in my name, stick it out. Is it ugly and hurtful and painful? Yes. Is divorce brokenness and hurt? And are there many in our church who are broken by its effects? Yes. And yet we model redemption. We model fidelity in our marriages. So when the world wants to treat them like trading cards, we say, you know what? No, I'm going to commit to this woman. In the midst of my culture that tells me that sex is just about my pleasure, I'm going to commit to fidelity. And when I raise my children, man, I love them. And man, they're so hard sometimes. 
but I'm going to stick it out with them. I'm not going to get selfish and walk away from them. And it's not rocket science. Jesus gives us these teachings, and they're so simple and yet so hard to live out where we're at. And yet it's so important for our culture to see people do this. It's so important for you to go to your work and talk about the fact, man, marriage is hard, but I'm so glad that Jesus is in the midst of mine because I don't know how I'd hold it together without it. And man, my kids are hard. And they're stretching my patience as my small group prays every single week. But man, it's so worth it because Jesus is in the midst of it. Your culture needs to see that because what our culture hears all the time is, man, my, this relationship, I mean, it's terrible. So I'm, I'm, it's toxic or whatever. I, I need something else, and so I'm going to bounce out of it. Or my kids are hard, so I'm just going to focus on my career, and, and they're going to be okay. They need us to live differently. And yet you and I make a decision a lot of times to just choose to blend instead. And man, I would just say that the gospel calls us and the world needs us to live something differently to live as light of the world. Back in 2015, I was uh, a company commander for my unit in the reserves. And I was really struggling with, how do I lead this group of 115 soldiers? How do I lead them in a way that gets the results the army needs, but also is faithful to my convictions as a Christian, right? Because they know what I do. They know I'm a pastor. And so it's how do I be effective, because I have bosses there who need me to achieve certain things. And in the, in the army, maybe similar to where you work, there's an understanding that's, that leadership looks a certain way. And oftentimes, it's not the kind of leadership that Jesus demonstrates for us in the Gospels. Can we just be real that the workforce is oftentimes modeling leadership differently? And so I would come to this position, and I struggled with how do I do the job and yet also faithfully represent Jesus in it. And I was struggling because I, I was erring on the side of grace, and yet I just wasn't seeing the results, and my bosses were getting a little upset at me. And I remember telling Taylor, like, man, they don't like me. My bosses do not like me because I'm not getting them the results that they need. And we had a two-week training in 2015, and there was this one soldier, Private Fields. She was brand new. God love her. She was struggling to adapt to what it means to be in the Army, and she was just getting on my nerves. And it reached a point where eventually I was so frustrated because I was trying to, like, Jesus, I want to be a leader who models for her what it means to follow Jesus, but also calls her to quit stinking at her job, to be real. My prayers are profoundly deep. <laughs> and I walk into that, and I just failed. And I remember there was this one instance where she just broke, it was, a, it was a straw that broke this camel's back, and I call her out to a meeting with me and my first sergeant, and we call in the middle of these barracks down at Camp Pendleton, and we were staying in the barracks, and, and a bunch of Marines lived, and it was in a quad area, and I called her to the middle, and, and this is one of, those, one of those losses, one of those failures in my book that sticks with me. And oftentimes those are the ones that stick with my soul more so than the victories. But I remember I called her down there, and I had tried to hold intention, what it means to live like the light of the world and be a boss. And I didn't see it working. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to set aside the light of the world thing for a second. And I'm going to do what I think my bosses need me to do. And so, man, I, I'm not a yeller, if you know me. 
Like, I, I'm not even good at it. I don't even know how to. Like, I used my dad voice this week, and Taylor kind of looked at me like, huh. <laughs> like, you, you have that. But I, I yelled at this 19-year-old private, and I destroyed her with my words. I mean, viciously. Not for the point of, like, rehabilitating her, but just to destroy her and to show her all the ways that she was failing. And I was screaming so loudly at this girl that all the Marines came out of their barracks because they heard it. And she left that meeting with me in tears because I just tore her apart. And then I walked away from that, and that is one of those things where it sticks with my soul. The sad thing is, she actually turned around and became a good soldier. I got the result, and yet I sacrificed the more important thing in the process. Because she knew I'm a pastor. And I just destroyed her in front of all these people. And that one sticks with me as a massive failure in my leadership journal. Man, I wanted to be someone who reflected, who was the light of the world and was different, and yet I ended up just becoming exactly like all the other leaders around me. And you and I have got to hold that intention. You've got to do it at your work too. I pray you don't scream at people at your work. I pray that you would choose to be the light of the world, and there's a better way to do it. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. Sorry, that's not like a funny story where you're like, oh, my pastor is so cute. It's like, no, my pastor's kind of a jerk sometimes. And I remember that. My prayer is that you and I would learn how to live differently from those failures. Acts chapter 19, and here's, here's where we're going to land. Acts 19 is where Paul goes to Athens, or sorry, uh, Ephesus. And when he goes to Ephesus, he has a decision. And this, is the t- and this draws out, the reason we're in Acts 19 is it draws out a tension that you and I face. When you step into your work, when you step into your families, there's a choice and a tension that you have. Do I want to blend it or do I just want to stand out and kind of risk it? And Acts 19, Paul, like, I don't even know if blending was in his vocabulary, but he goes to Ephesus like he has cities before. And he goes in there and he sets up shop for a couple years and does ministry. And the ministry in Acts 19 is dynamic. It's successful. People are coming, they're putting their faith in Jesus. It's so powerful that people who are practicing sorcery are burning their books because they found a better way in Jesus. Like all sorts of people from society are abandoning idol worship and they're turning to Jesus because Paul is just boldly out there doing his thing. And there's a kind of a lie that you and I have picked up in the church, and, it, and it's bad theology, which is we've convinced ourselves that in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus in arenas, everybody in the room has to like you. And that's dangerous theology because it's not in Scripture. Like if you ever look at the New Testament and try and come away with the idea that to be a follower of Jesus and to live as light in the world means that everybody in that room is going to think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, that's nowhere in the Scriptures. What is in the scriptures is that you are guaranteed people aren't going to hate you in that room. They're not going to like it. Why? Because scripture reminds us all the time, the world's living in darkness, and people who live in darkness don't like the light. 
Now, people are going to be drawn to the light. That's why we do it. So when you go and you stand forth in your work and your families and your friendships, people are going to be drawn to that. But there's also going to be a crew of people in every room who don't like it. And so you and I just have to kind of set aside bad theology that says, I'm doing my job well as a follower of Jesus when everybody likes me. Can we just agree right now that that is not something that Scripture has put forth? In fact, the Scriptures repeatedly tell us and anticipate for you that as you do that, we're going to see fruit in ministry, but there's going to be people who just aren't digging it. Back in Acts 17, when Paul goes to uh, Thessalonica, listen to what it says. has good ministry. People are coming to Jesus. And then verse 5, but other Jews were jealous. Check this out. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. That's scripture, not me. And they formed a mob. They rounded up some bad characters in the marketplace. I guarantee you guys, when you go out there and when you seek to fully live as light of the world, you may do nothing wrong. You may live out good works and you will see fruit in that ministry. I pray it for you. Just know that there are some bad characters in the marketplace. And don't be surprised when they grab and form a mob. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to scare you. But just to help you understand that you and I, when you stand out, some people are going to love it and they're going to be drawn to Jesus. That's fruit of ministry. But you're also going to have people who don't like it. Are you willing to sacrifice peace? Not be obnoxious, okay? Don't be that guy. Not be obnoxious, but be light of the world who's willing to say, I'm okay if some bad characters from the marketplace form a mob. There's going to be a couple people at my work that might not like me. Are you okay with that? If it means that people will see the light of the world in you rather than just you conforming to the standards of the culture around you. So Acts 19, verses 22 through 41, Paul has great ministry. Paul, I don't know why his ministry incites mobs everywhere he goes. I've never experienced that myself, but... He goes to Ephesus, two years. All of a sudden, people stop worshiping false gods. And when you stop worshiping false gods, you stop buying idols. And there's money to be made in everything. And so the silversmiths in the town start getting upset. Why? They're losing business. They don't care. They want money. And now people are abandoning the god Artemis, and they're going to, and they're going to Jesus. And the silversmiths are like, we're losing money. So they form a mob, they grab a couple of Paul's associates, and they drag him into the courts. And they say, these guys are costing us money. And then we look at that in the light of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And this is the one that we're going to close with in, as we go into open worship. It says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so that's my prayer. And, I, and this is where I just pray that the Lord would, would do some, some work in our hearts. You've got to use wisdom in how to go to work and how to go to your families and how to be light of the world. A foolish one goes in there and just is obnoxious and makes enemies. But a wise person goes in there, weighs the cost and says, this is worth it to me. Some might not like it, but I'm going to choose instead to live out these good works, to use that as an opportunity to speak about what I believe in Jesus, and prayerfully hope that God would bring fruit from that.
So here's my prayer, you guys, is that we would be a church that has that conviction, that doesn't do what Jesus warns us not to and cover the lamp with a bowl, but that you would have some boldness. And I guarantee you, it's going to cost you something. Please go into it eyes wide open on that. It may cost you some friendships. It may cost you some of your family. And it may cost you something at work. But my prayer is that you and I, when we weigh those scales, we would say, man, being a light of the world and and living out these good works and professing the name of Jesus, that outweighs it to me. So my prayer is that the Spirit would speak to you. Where is that arena? Where's that room? Where you need to stop blending and start being the light of the world.